If you have your Bibles, open them with me and turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 15. Galatians 2.15 We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Hey Doris, good to see you. Great song, Sheba. I love playing that song. It's a lot of fun. Um, so this, this verse is talking about justification. Now what's justification? The definition of it, I'm going to be technical tonight. The declaring of a person to be just or righteous. God pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Christ. So just our justification is not based on, on what we do or don't do. Our justification is based on our faith in Christ. Now you can go much further than that and talk about sanctification and you kind of, you move on where it actually, it does matter how we behave and how we conduct ourselves. But if we're talking in this, uh, um, in this scripture, just on justification, it comes through our faith in Jesus. Look what it says in Romans 3, 22. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. So that righteousness, it's not earned. It is something that comes through faith in Christ. Now, um, when we're talking about the person of Job, like, like I mentioned earlier off the top, Job, he did not have, uh, his justification was not through Christ. He was justified by his own works. So he had to prove himself to be righteous based on his own works. And what we know about the law, if you read, you know, throughout the Old Testament, the law in of itself, you know, if it was sufficient, if it was good enough that, that people can live by the law and therefore be righteous, then there would be no need for Christ. So obviously you can, you can understand that first of all, you know, Job's life was based around the fact that, oh, you know, he's, he's keeping the law and that's the justification. And there's no, there's no protection in that. And you can see now that Job was vulnerable. His hedge of protection was, was easily removed because there was no, uh, uh, um, you know, there was no faith that could be placed in a savior that came and took our place on the cross. Job hadn't experienced that yet. He wasn't even in covenant with God yet because the Abrahamic covenant hadn't taken place. Now, turn to the book of Job since we're talking about him. And I want to read you uh, the situation that we see happening. Um, so turn to Job chapter 1. Uh, Job, Job chapter 1 starting at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan. So, so um, it's okay, Jill, you made it. Um, so Satan was talking with God. And by the way, Job wasn't privy to this conversation. So he didn't understand who was the source of his problems. And that's why at, at one point in, in the book, he says, you know, the Lord gives and takes away. He didn't understand that God was not the source of his trouble. And I'm going to tell you here tonight. And if you get nothing else from this broadcast, 
Know this, that God is not the author of sickness and disease and the trouble that comes through, through in this world and the trouble that Job faced. We can see very clearly, even from this book, in which, as I, as I explained, that the justification through Christ hadn't even happened yet. There was no, Job had to prove himself over and over again by his good works. And he was a righteous man. There's no doubt about it. So listen to what it says in Job chapter 1 and verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You know, it's interesting because God was, was basically um, bragging about Job. Look at this guy. He, he's, the, he's the best guy. You know, he's following the law. He's righteous. Um, and so, and, and, and so you'd think, okay, well, that must be good enough. But what happened was, well, let me keep reading. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? There's that hedge of protection that I talked about. You, you have to realize this. When Christ died on the cross, he proclaimed victory over all the works of the enemy. So you, you don't live your life thinking to yourself, I'm, I must be vulnerable to attack the way that Job was. Because that hedge of protection that was put around Job was vulnerable to attack no matter how good he was. And so, and like I explained before, it does matter how we behave. That's the whole, there's a sanctification process that takes place when we come to Christ. Okay, and that, that's a, a subject for another day. But you have to understand that, that there is uh, um, this protection that comes in onto the believer through their faith in Christ because we know that through Christ, um, there's victory over the, the works of the enemy. So let me keep reading. In verse 10, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Just, just think about that for a second. So, so Satan's basically saying to God, oh yeah, you think this guy's so good? Just watch what happens. If everything that he has is taken away from him, he's going to curse you. And what did God say? Everything he has is in your hands. So what are Satan's hands? Satan, Satan's hands are that of destruction. Satan's hands are that of, of, of curse and not blessing. Because what did it say about God? What did God do? Have you not put a hedge of protection, um, a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. So what comes from God? There's protection and there's blessing. And what comes from the devil? Destruction. And eventually you see sickness because then um, if you continue reading in, in chapter 2, um, Satan's coming back again because he, <laughs> Satan's a destroyer. He's a thief. He kills and he destroys. We know that from the word, but God is the opposite of that. God blesses. He rewards God. Now listen carefully. God is a just God and the, and the w wicked people, should they not repent will be punished. That's inevitable. But what we understand is that from the hand of God comes blessing, not curses. So we see eventually that Satan came back 
And then, uh, uh, well, let's read it in, in chapter 2, um, verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to, to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Listen to verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. So Satan couldn't happen in the presence of the Lord. He left the presence of the Lord and then the affliction came on Job. Now, you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot, uh, um, a lot in the book of Job. Um, and I want to get into a little bit more of it tonight before I get on to the next part. Because Job, you know what he said? He said, he understood, you know, despite the fact that at that point, um, you know, obviously Christ had not come onto the scene. He understood that there, there was, there was, he was looking for something because he understood that there should be and would be something that would come to bring victory over evil and over the pain that we go through. Because look what he says. In Job 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. He understood there is a Redeemer. There is someone that should be coming to my rescue. He said, oh, that I had a mediator. He understood the need for Christ, though he didn't fully and completely grasp it. He understood, oh, oh, that I had someone to come in between me, me and God. Look what it says in Job 33, 23. If there is an interceding angel for him, one out of a thousand. So he, he I, I, it's like, I need an intercessor. I need a go-between. I need some, someone there to bridge the gap between me and God. And that's exactly what happened when God sent him, his son to the earth to die for the sins of humanity. There was that mediator. There was that bridge. There was that, that, that interceding uh, being that had to come in to bridge that gap. Oh, that I had a mediator. He understood the reality that we now know um, very clearly because we're obviously a lot, um, a lot removed um, from what Job was going through. You know, we have power in the name of Jesus. We have, we have the power of the Holy Spirit operating on the inside of us. Job didn't have that. And so if you're gonna, if you're gonna be a person who says stuff like, well, you know, I know, you know, God won't, you know, God's a good God and everything, but you know, look at Job, you know, he, he, look at everything he went through. You know, the interesting thing is that the whole ordeal, I think it lasted like probably about 18 months or something like that. And look what it says right at the end. I didn't write it down, but, but let me go to the end because, because this matters because if you're going to, if you're going to use um, a Bible story as, um, if, if you're going to use a Bible story as a basis for something that, you know, you're going through, you're using it as some kind of justification for what you're going through, 
include the entire story. Look what it says in Job 42 verse 10. After Job had prayed for his, his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Who gave to him? It was the Lord. Satan didn't come back to the presence of God and said, well, I guess you were right. Uh, you know, Job st still loves you and all that. And, and, and all right, I guess I'm going to give him back everything I took. No, because Satan is a, is a thief. He can't bless you. He can't, you know, and that's why he hates blessing and he hates joy. He can't, uh, uh, he can't give joy, you know, so he hates it. He takes it away, but he can't give it. <laughs> that's a better comparable. Pastor Jess says, be David. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the Bible is filled with stories of overcoming. And where do we gravitate to? We gravitate to the one story, which again, I get it. He went through a lot. But number one, we understand he wasn't in covenant with God. He didn't have the hedge of protection around him through the victory through Jesus Christ. And it was from the hand of Satan anyways. The hand of God is what restored him and prospered him and blessed him. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him came and ate with him in his house. They comforted him and consoled him. They'd see... He still didn't know what was going on. All the trouble the Lord had bought, brought upon him. They didn't understand. They gave him, <laughs> they gave him stuff. Because they're like, oh, look what God did to you. Because they had no concept of the reality of what, who God is and what he does. The Lord blessed the latter part. Listen to this, verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first he was better off after it all than before it happened and it was the hand of god that blessed him though job's friends had no idea what was going on and his wife had no idea what was going on and listen you know your friends I, okay <laughs> i have friends obviously imagine it's like i don't have any friends no i have friends um and i, I like to talk to my friends um you know but the, sometimes you might go to your friends either for advice or maybe for uh, um... <laughs> good point, Shiba. Um, you know, you might go to your friends for advice and stuff like that. But a lot of times, you know, be careful who you go to. If you're if you're gonna go to someone and you and you really need, um... yeah, he did have the same wife. <laughs> she was all like, she literally said to him, she said, "Curse God and die." I don't know. She, she wasn't very helpful. Make sure you're going to people who understand what the word says, because they're probably going to give you faulty advice. What happened with his friends? They still didn't get it. They were like, oh, I'm so sorry for, for what God did to you. Here's, um, here's a, a piece of silver and a gold ring. <laughs> no, we're definitely, <laughs> it's true. That's a good point too. I, I love I love you you guys make great points about the Job comparisons. Job Job was the most righteous. I'm pretty sure the people who who um, identify with Job are probably not. No offense, of course. Uh, but it's like I said, th there there always needs to be some sort of like uh, <laughs> uh, Auntie Joe. That's exactly what I thought. I'm thinking like, man, of all the things, it's like you probably would have. <laughs> Probably would have preferred a different wife. Um, you know, I've, we've been reading through the book of Proverbs. Do you guys know how many times it's repeated in the book of Proverbs that, that it's, it's, it's like the worst thing is to have like a nagging wife? It's like, 
It's like it's better. How many times I say it's better to live like on the rooftop of a building than than with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> uh, I just find it funny in, in the book of Proverbs. But anyways, um, <laughs> so you know when you when you're you know, like Pastor just brought up. You know, look, look at the story of David because the story of of David, for example, David was faced with a giant. He was faced with something that in the natural was insurmountable. You know, um, it, it was something that, 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 you know, it seemed like it would have been impossible. But what did David do? He, he knew his God and he knew that his God would give him the victory. And so when you're, and like Shiva mentioned something very important, we don't, um, uh, we don't downplay anybody's struggle. People go through hard things. I say that all the time when I'm on this broadcast. I want to, you know, we have to, and that's why we have to be like nice to people because people go through hard things. I heard a story about someone just today, a, t- a difficult life. People go through hard things. We, we never minimize it. But we know the God that we serve. We know that we serve the God of victory. We know that we serve the God who's able to, to, to do the impossible. The, the, the God who breaks chains and breaks down strongholds. The, the God who takes down giants. That's the God that we serve. And so again, yes, it's true. There are things that people go through. You know, like a preacher said, that there's a, when you're in church, there's a broken heart on every pew. It's true. You know, you see people at church and they're all smiling. How's it going? Oh, I'm good. And they're not good. And that's why you have to provide a solution. We cannot be those people. Well, you know what? Look, chin up. You know, look at what Job went through. And, you know, like life's hard. But, you know, hey, Job, hey, if Job went through it, we can handle it too. You know, that's the solution. You know, just just try to uh, 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 hold on as long as you can, and then you know one day it's all it's all gonna be gone. You know, th- th- that's not an answer. That's not a solution. Um, <laughs> no way, Sheba. You know, look what it says in Romans five verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Do you think that Job's friends, if they, and Job and his friends and his wife, if they think um, uh, that God's the one that inflicted him, I don't think they have much peace with him, do they? I don't think that you could feel, okay, I feel good about, about my relationship with God. If you think that he's the one who's bringing the bad things on you. How, how are you, how, how is it possible to feel any kind of peace in that situation? I don't know how, how, how Christians can live peacefully thinking that at any moment, God can just be like, you know what? Look at, uh, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to grab anybody's name. Look at Bob. You know, Bob's doing well. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to send like, like, you know, some horrible disease on him and then we'll see how much he loves me. No, we don't have to prove ourselves. We've already been justified through faith. Christ came to fulfill the law. If the law was sufficient, then we we wouldn't need the sacrifice of Christ. You know, I, I, I hate to do this. No, I don't really hate to do this. I like to do it. I always talk about the book that I wrote. If you don't have it, I highly recommend you get it because I talk about this sort of subject matter all the time throughout this book. I want to read you, um, what I wrote about Job. 
um, page 60 if you have it. Um, Job was not under a covenant. He was on the scene before God made his promise to Abraham. He did not have any basis in scripture to understand what was happening to him. But the Bible is clear on who was the source of Job's trouble. Satan was the, was the thief. God was the rewarder. Job had to prove his justification through his own works. We are justified through Christ. Remember, our relationship with God might change through the covenant, but God never changes. So we were once far off from him. So we didn't have relationship with him. Then when we come into covenant with God, we come into right relationship with him. So those things change, but God himself does not change. I am the Lord God and I change not. So talking about covenant, let's talk about it because it's important to understand. Okay, well, Job didn't have it. Well, well what is this? What's it, what's it all about? Turn to Genesis chapter 15 and verse one. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look up at, at the stars. If you can't count them, that's... That's how much your offspring will be. You know who's the offspring? Turn to Galatians chapter 3. I apologize for jumping ahead to tomorrow's reading, but this was important. So whoever's doing the broadcast tomorrow, my apologies. Um, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So, so God was basically explaining the gospel, what was going to happen. Job didn't have the, the, the virtue of that. He didn't, he didn't have the privilege of that. But Abraham, on the other hand, when the covenant came into place, God explained what was going to happen in the gospel. He said, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Skip down to verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We who are in Christ are heirs according to the promise that Abraham is now our spiritual father thanks to our faith in Christ Jesus. So when, 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 when Abraham looked up at, at the stars and, and thinking of his offspring, that, through faith, that's us. And, and Abraham's faith, let's read a bit about Abraham's faith, because it's important. Uh, Romans 4, verse 13. It's okay, Ro, I forgive you. It was not through the law 
that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. But because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. That, <laughs> you know that song, um, uh, I, I'm not going to sing it. I always like almost sing something. This song called Father Abraham. Do we know the song? I'm sure you know it. When I was a kid, uh, we used to sing it. Um, and so it's basically Father Abraham um, talking about how he has many sons and it says, I'm one of them and so are you. So that, that's, that's what I think whenever we're talking about, uh, um, about Abraham. If you know the song, sing it. I, I certainly won't. That's right, Sheba, you know it. Now that's going to be in everybody's head for the rest of the night. <laughs> uh, go down to verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's just where, uh, exactly what I read in, in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's exactly the scripture there in Romans 4, 22. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Everybody's going to be singing it now. Abraham's covenant is now uh, uh, we come into that same covenant through our faith in Christ because because Abraham is our father. I know you're singing it. I, I'm like, I'm so tempted to sing it, but it's not going to happen. Like I said, the Lord didn't gift me to sing. Um, so now what is this covenant? Because I think, um, you know, a lot of times, I've, I've, I've taught about the covenant a lot. That's something that, that I love uh, to speak about. I love to teach about. Um, but it is important to know um, what exactly it is. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. I'll stop there for a second. You know, I put, I like to stick verses up in my house. You want to know why? Because of that scripture. Because if something's constantly in your sight, you're not going to be forgetting it. Um, it's like that old saying. Out of sight, out of mind, right? But if you're constantly having something that you're seeing, that you're looking at, that you're reading, I have like a bunch of, um, I have like a, a, a plaque, not a plaque, okay, it's like a frame thing. Uh, uh, one of those wooden, you know those wooden boxes that have words? 
that are like kind of trendy and stuff. I have one right at my front door that it's a scripture from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's like every time I come into the house or every time I leave, I'm reminded that this household serves the Lord. And I have, I have other things um, that I put up. I have another, uh, uh, I have a big plaque that I have in a big picture frame that I have in my living room. That's the scripture that says pray without ceasing, you know, because it's easy. It's very easy to go through life. You get busy because everybody's busy. Everybody's busy all the time. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like when you make fun of those, those movies where it's like, someone's always busy. It's like, I'm in a rush. Oh, I can't stop. Uh, I don't have time for breakfast. You know, those, those, um, movies where it's like the mom makes like this huge breakfast and then the kids come like rushing down. Sorry, mom, don't have time to eat. And they like grab a banana and walk out the door. Everybody's always busy all the time. Busy, busy, busy. And I understand that, that you know, we have responsibilities, uh, um, on this earth. But what happens is a lot of the time we get so busy and we get so caught up with everything that we do, we forget the things that we're not supposed to forget. And so it's not a bad idea to, to put things in your house, scriptures in your house, up on the walls. Rose, Ro mentioned post-its. Yeah, if you want to be uh, um, a little more casual, sure, put a post-it. <laughs> I was like, I was talking about like my frames and stuff and you're like, post-it. That's okay. Post-its are good. I actually... Um, I remember in the old apartment that I used to live in, we had like a laundry room uh, that kind of doubled as my prayer closet. And on the back of, of the door was just posted, like tons and tons and tons of posters. Do you guys want to know a funny story? Um, so they're basically Bible verses and, 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 and encouraging phrases and stuff. I moved out of that apartment. I never took those posters off the door. I forgot. So whoever lives there now has the benefit of reading bible verses on the back of their their laundry room door i didn't do it on purpose but i'm kind of glad i left them there um because you know whoever lives there now gets to see them so there's a little tip leave bible verses wherever you go and it's not a bad idea because when god is 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 giving these instructions it why is he saying that because you, if you're not constantly repeating it, it's going to be forgotten. And, and guess what happened through the generations of the Israelites? As you read through the Old Testament, they forgot. They forgot that, you know, they had a king who was serving the Lord. And then you see his son kind of like, you know, um, kind of was half serving the Lord. And then the, the one after him was not serving the Lord at all. And, and, and the knowledge and understanding of the law and the things of the Lord were completely forgotten. Just, just like that. And so that's why God is saying, talk about them, impress them, impress them upon your children. If you have children, that's something that you need to do. You need to constantly be feeding them and allowing them to ingest the word of God so that they don't forget it. And you might see them and their behavior and think, man, they must've forgotten. If, if it's impressed on their heart, just like the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. That I believe that to be a hundred percent true. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them. You know what are you talking about? You know I I, I think um <laughs> one of the things that that I always want to like try and not try but do a lot more of um, yeah cue cards are good too is is talk more about the scriptures with people like you know Sheba's on here commenting me and Sheba talk all the time and like. 
95% of what we talk about is, is scripture and biblical things and, 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 you know, and stuff like that. And I love, I love talking to her because of that. Um, because that's what we should be doing. Um, I won't tell you what the other 5% that we talk about is, but if you know either of us, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you could guess. Um, let's continue reading. When the Lord your God brings, this is verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what do we know? We know, <laughs> we understand that this covenant here, God is reminding the people, this is what I swore to do for your, your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you're saying, well, you know, this is Deuteronomy. This is like Moses and stuff. No, it was to Abraham, okay, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells you did not dig vineyards and olive groves you did not plant then when you eat and are satisfied be careful that you do not forget the lord who brought you out of egypt out of the hand of slavery so that's awesome pina a puzzle that's good people like puzzles i used to do um you know those 3d puzzles where the uh, the pieces are like soft i i had a bunch of them i don't know what happened to them but but that was fun i know you're probably thinking <laughs> did i did i not go out anywhere i sat at home and do puzzles there's nothing wrong with doing puzzles nothing wrong um so what is he saying i, I want to point out a few of those things because again I, I'm, I'm hammering this home before, you know, we're going to pray before we close, but, but I just want to get to a few more things. Um, you know, because when you gravitate towards a story like Job, like I said, it's, I, I, I very rarely hear, <laughs> I very, <laughs> I very rarely hear people say, man, that Job, he was restored double. God gave him even better. No, that's not what you hear. You hear the people writing songs. Oh, you give and take away. I used to like that song until I realized that's very bad doctrine. You know, because um, Job said that out of a place of not understanding what was happening to him and not understanding who the source of his trouble was. And so most of the time, if people reference Job, it's always the bad stuff. I'm glad, uh, Elizabeth. I'm enjoying teaching it because I love the, this subject matter. Like I said, I but my book is, is based on a lot of this. Um, I love this subject matter because it's so crucial because I went through a lot of years suffering because I didn't understand what God had for me. I didn't understand that he, he, he truly is a good God. And not that it's like, we don't know what we're going to get from God. Maybe we'll get good. Maybe we'll get bad. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, that, that's, how I, that's how I used to think. And that's how a lot of people think. And so they find themselves constantly in struggle. And rather, like, you know, like Pastor Jess had pointed out, rather than looking to a, 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 a victorious story like David, they look to a, a sad story like Job. Well, you know, you know, it's like sometimes we go through things and, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, look at Job, you know, he went through all this stuff. It was really hard for him. Or even with Paul, they never identify all the great things about Paul. It's always the bad things about Paul or the stuff that he went through or the, the you know, I know that Sheba always likes to say, it's like when you, when you, you know, we're not Paul, uh, we're not Paul and we're not Job. 
We're me. I'm me and you're you. So what you have to do is you have to look at the principles of the word of God. And the principles of the word of God clearly state that God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. And you're not someone, if you have faith in Christ and you're born again and you're washed by the blood of, of the land, you don't have to sit around wondering, is God going to strike me? Is God going to send a lightning bolt and take me out? Am I going to be vulnerable? Am I going to be attacked every day of the week? There are challenges. There are challenges. Believe me. If you're part of this church, you know what that means. And you know what that feels like. There are challenges. There are things. There, there's opposition. But just as with David, he didn't deny that there was a giant. He wasn't standing up there saying, uh, I don't really see a giant because, you know, um, you know, I only have good things coming my way. No, he saw there was a giant. But he didn't glorify the giant. He didn't, he didn't celebrate the giant or he didn't uh, be like, oh, well, this giant, this is just my giant to bear. You know, that's how people talk. You know, I'm just in a bad, I'm just in a valley right now. You know, I'm just in a bad season. They write songs about it and we sing the songs about it. Having no idea, you know, could you imagine if David had that attitude? Standing in front of Goliath, man, this guy's really strong. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a shot. There's a very good chance I'll probably die because he's way stronger than me. No, he understood his God. I don't have it up. I wrote a chapter about that in my book. I should have. Um, I don't remember which chapter it is. Uh, speaking about David, I think it's this one. Because it's, it's very important. Listen, okay, I found it. That was easy. Page 97. Faith doesn't deny circumstances. Faith doesn't pretend we don't feel anything, but we cannot allow ourselves to be dictated by circumstances or guided by feelings. There are giants in everyone's promised land, but we use our faith to drive them out. When David faced Goliath, he didn't deny the giant's existence. David acknowledged there was a giant, but in a defiant way rather than a defeated way. You know, <laughs> well, I'll keep reading. It's good. I know, I know I wrote it, but I like it. David then spoke confidently, knowing God would help him just as he had in the past. He knew what he was up against, yet he was full of encouragement. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. David, you know, all, all of them, it was the same thing. 40 days, Goliath marched out there. 40 days, he, he intimidated them. And scared them. And they were always cowering. How are we going to, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What did David do? He stepped up and he said, why are you afraid of this guy? Why are you afraid? I'm going to go. I'm going to take him out. I got God on my side. It's like the phrase that I love to say. God plus one is the majority. David never mentioned his shortcomings. He was, he didn't have much. His, Saul's armor didn't even fit him. It was too big. And he didn't glorify the enemy. How many times do we magnify bad news? That's a surefire way to limit your faith. If all you speak about is how bad or difficult or terrible something is, why would you suddenly be able to flip the switch and speak faith towards it? We've, we far too easy, easily glorify our problems and turn ourselves into to, to little mini Job's. Turn yourself into a mini David instead. 
Be the kind of person that has so much faith in God, that has seen what God did in the past, that he helped them against the, the, the lions and the bears that he faced. That he had so much confidence in his God, not that he wasn't boasting in himself. He gave God all the glory. That's a good quote. We may walk through the valley, but don't camp there. Just like the scripture says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, walk through, not live there, not stay there, not suffer there. Walk through. It's normal to be challenged. It's unscriptural to be defeated. We don't serve a defeated God. So, so again, going back to the covenant. To give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's in the covenant? Increase, prosperity, multiplication, health, long life, protection, rescue, breakthrough. These are the, 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 the parts of the covenant. It's, it's all the time. It always goes to everything negative. And I, I understand people go through stuff. You might have lost a loved one. You might have a situation in, in, your, in your home, in your family, that maybe things aren't going well. The God of the covenant, that covenant that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know through the scripture that those of us who are in Christ are heirs to that very same promise and that very same covenant. How then can you look at your life and say, well, you know, it's just like Job, you know, the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, that is a scripture, but it's not something that you sing and it's not something that you say because it's built on the basis that Job had no justification other than what he could prove. And that's not good enough. There's only one thing that's good enough. And that's the sacrifice of Christ on the cross when he won the victory over all the power of the enemy, when that veil was torn in two. You know, I'm going to pray tonight. Whatever you're going through, I, I, I'm going to join my faith with yours, but, but have faith. Pray in faith. If, if you have a prayer request, please uh, write it down and we're going to pray for it tonight. So while, while you're doing that, you know, I do this every week because I don't know who's watching. But if you're out there tonight, you're like, man, I, I want, I, I don't have this. I, I don't think I ever, I don't think I have a, a, a faith in Christ. What do I do? How do I get it? Well, it's very simple. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So tonight I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you've never prayed that prayer, if you, if you have no idea, you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm right with God. You can get right with God right now. It's not too late. Tomorrow might be too late. So don't wait to make the decision. You know, when I was growing up, that, that was the attitude of a lot of, uh, of the young people that I knew that I was friends with. It was always the same kind of thing. It's like that there was no uh, a realization that that you know you can't um, you can't just assume that you're gonna have forever to make the right decision. You know, well, I'm gonna have fun now, and, and then you know, which isn't even real fun. It's not even real fun. The world's fun is not real fun. It's fun for for a moment, and then it leads to your destruction. Do you think that that crack addicts are having fun? I doubt it. 
I doubt it. <laughs> you know, do you think that drunks are having fun? No, they, they, they go to, 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 to groups to try to get set free from, from, from their addiction. It's not fun. It appears to be fun because the devil wants to deceive you into thinking that it's fun, into thinking that, that this is what you should be doing, that this is the kind of life you should have. Meanwhile, it's all created to completely destroy you and keep you far from God. But, but I'm going to give you the chance tonight. Pray this prayer. Repeat it after me out of your mouth, out loud. Confess with your mouth. Say, Father, I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess now of all my sin and wrongdoing. I pray that Jesus would come and set me free. I pray that he will be the savior of my life. I thank you, Father, that you sent him to set me free and to save me. Thank you, Father, that I am now saved. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Message this account or message me because we want to know uh, if you made that decision.